You can turn once again in your copy of God's Word to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll be looking again at just a few verses tonight, but there's so much here for us to look at. We're going to be focusing on James 1, verses 19 to 21. James 1, uh, and I'll begin in 18. This is God's holy word. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. May the Lord bless us as we consider his word together, and may his spirit work in each of our hearts. We heard in the last message in verses 17 and 18 of our God who gives good gifts. And that the greatest gift that God has given is this gift of salvation in Christ that he's brought us forth by the word of truth. But that there's a goal and purpose in this salvation. He says it's that we should be a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. That is, God wants to see in his church a harvest of righteousness. That we would be a fruitful people. A people who bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Especially the fruit of the Spirit those qualities that the Holy Spirit works in the blood-bought people of God. Fruit for God. That's what God is after. If you're a gardener or a farmer, you know that you want your crops to be fruitful, right? You want a good harvest. But what do you have to watch out for? You have to watch out for those things that might stunt the harvest or or narrow, squeeze down the harvest. Particularly, you think of things like weeds, that suck up the nutrients before the plants can get them, or you think of pests that that might corrode and eat up a tree. And when we consider our spiritual fruitfulness, I want us to consider this one pest, this one weed, if you will, that does much to choke out the fruitfulness of God's people. It's one that reaps a lot of destruction in many, many lives. And what we're talking about this evening is the vice of anger. James is talking about anger. And what I want us to see in this text this evening is the provision that God has made for us to be transformed from a people of anger into a people who show forth the virtue of meekness. So we're going to be considering the anger, then we'll consider meekness, and the transformation God produces in us. So first, let's consider anger and its results. Look again at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's James' reason. Here's why you should practice this slowness to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is saying, this is a fact, you need to get this fact straight right away. The anger of humanity, if you will, does not produce the righteousness of God, right? You can even think of the word produce, right? That's a fruit word. Uh, We call the groceries we buy produce. Uh, 
Anger does not bear the fruits of righteousness, the righteous ways that God delights in, the righteousness that God calls forth in us. Anger doesn't produce that. Anger doesn't bear good fruit. Anger is destructive. And when we're talking about anger, what, what is anger? Well, we might think of anger as an emotional response to actual or perceived wrong or injustice that quickly leads to sinful thoughts, words, and actions. Okay? Anger is an emotional response to perceived wrong or actual wrong or injustice that very quickly leads to sinful thoughts, words, and actions. Anger is an emotion that leads to sinful action. And the path of anger is never going to be the path of righteousness. On the contrary, we all know where uninhibited anger naturally leads. Anger leads to that bitterness and contempt and resentment that holds our own happiness captive and poisons our own souls. Anger leads to the verbal and physical abuse that breaks trust, destroying both bodies and relationships. Anger leads to that malice and hatred that pits brother against brother and erodes the foundations of civil peace and order. The path of anger is the path of destruction. And you don't have to look far to see anger's effects, do you? And I, I would say that perhaps more than anything else, I, I'd say even more than sexual immorality, anger is the force that most destroys homes and families and marriages. We see the effects of this everywhere. And why is anger so destructive? Why does anger have such a destructive power? It's because anger acts as an emotional accelerant. Okay? An accelerant is something that, that accelerates a chemical reaction. Right? You think of a fire, you are trying to light one and it's not catching, so you pour some gasoline on it, and then the fire erupts. It accelerates the actions. And so you might be under a provocation, a difficulty someone brings to you, and that's like a spark. But then anger, when anger comes, anger is like gasoline that pours on that spark, causing it to erupt into destructive flames. It starts a roaring fire that quickly burns out of control. Or, boys and girls, have you guys ever seen when you like shake up a pop bottle? You know what happens when you shake up a pop bottle and then open it? It erupts in a huge mess everywhere. And when you're in a situation that's tempting to make you angry, you're like that pop bottle that's getting shaken up. And if you open up and vent out of that anger, it's going to make a mess of you and the people around you. Anger, it accelerates things. And those emotions erupt quickly into sinful actions. And anger is a response to a wrong. And it might just be a perceived wrong, or it might be an actual wrong. It might be a real problem that needs to get fixed. But here's the thing. Anger is never the right tool to deal with that problem. It's like if you were constructing, building something with some wood, and you had a bent nail that you needed to try to fix in the house. Anger is like trying to bring in a wrecking ball to deal with the bent nail. It leaves a destructive effect everywhere. It's not a gentle enough, precise enough tool to use. Using anger, could you imagine if uh, your dentist was doing a filling and he was bringing in a jackhammer to do the filling? It's the wrong tool for the job. 
It's too destructive a tool for the job. And so when people use anger as a tool to try to fix interpersonal problems, it's no wonder that there's usually greater uh, problems that arise and not solutions. Proverbs 29.22 says that a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Much transgression results from the person given to anger. And so we need to be constantly reminded of this truth from the book of James, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is especially important for us to consider in a culture that actually celebrates anger as a tool to get things done. We live in an outrage culture where people will tell you that what tweets get the most retweets? The ones that show forth outrage and give vent to frustration. There are whole um, media ecosystems, there are whole talk radio shows that are all about venting anger. But that's not the way of the people of God. They might think they will use their anger to do righteous things, but James couldn't be more clear. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so the first point for us is that as we see anger's destructive effects all around us, we need to hate anger, to loathe it, to detest sinful anger. It's a vice to flee. But James doesn't leave us there. He tells us what is the virtue we're to pursue. Look again at verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James here is describing the virtue of meekness. Someone who is slow to speak, slow to anger. And meekness is a fairly misunderstood term. When I was growing up, I always kind of thought that meekness was a synonym for humility. It was kind of the same thing. But actually, meekness is much closer to the idea of gentleness. Or even better, it's this idea of being slow to anger. The meek person is the one who is slow to speak, slow to anger. It's the opposite of what would be being quick to anger, right? You know we use that expression, that person has a short fuse, right? What does that mean? It means from the initial spark and provocation, they are quick to blow up, quick to explode. They are quick to anger. On the contrary, the meek person is slow to anger. They have a long, long fuse where the time frame be between any reaction is long. Now, some people have what we might consider sort of a hypersensitivity to personal offense, to personal grievance, to personal wrong. And it creates this quickness to anger. It's a hyper-responsiveness to defend oneself and justify. Um, it's kind of like, have you ever played with the settings on your mouse? And you can change the sensitivity of the mouse so that one nudge and the mouse cursor goes shooting across the screen. And that's what this person is quick to anger's life. Like, the, 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 the gentlest movement and nudge against them and whoosh, they're flying way past where they need to go, way past this way, and can never come to clear direction. But the person who's meek has toned that sensitivity down and learned that when nudged, when pushed, they respond the appropriate amount, gently, and if you can control that, then you can click and go where you want to go and actually make progress. That's what the quality of meekness is like. And we need to learn this beauty of meekness, this slowness to react with rash speech, 
this slowness to erupt in anger and a readiness to actually hear, to actually listen and hear what others are saying. We're called to be, in a sense, clothed, clothed with meekness, like something we wear at all times. In Colossians 3.12, Paul says to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul says we should be clothed with meekness. And when I think of wearing meekness as, a, as clothing, you might think of it like wearing Kevlar. Uh, you, and you know how Kevlar works. It's what bulletproof stuff is made out of. And how it works is it, it ends up, it absorbs the impact of the things that are flying against it. So that instead of a bullet coming, ripping through, causing destruction, um, there's an absorption and there's no damage caused. And when we're clothed with meekness, though others would fight against us and uh, shoot us with their words, um, they are able to just fall off us and we can stay unperturbed unflappable, and we can hold our calm and poise in the midst of an increasingly outraged society. We really want to wear this beautiful garment of meekness. Commentator Joseph Benson describes meek people this way. He says that they are persons of a mild, gentle, long-suffering, and forgiving disposition, who are slow to anger and averse from wrath, not easily provoked, and if at any time at all provoked, soon pacified, who never resent an injury, nor return evil for evil, but make it their care to overcome evil with good. Isn't this so needful? Don't you see how this meek person is the one who can listen well so as to respond righteously instead of reacting negatively? It's the person who will choose their words carefully avoiding those rash words that stir up anger and choosing that soft answer that turns away wrath. We need the virtue of meekness. So how do we acquire it? How can we learn to be people who put off the sinful anger and put on meekness? Well, James doesn't leave us in the dark here. He gives us a very clear instruction in verse 21. Take a look at James 1.21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James has two commands here. He says, first put away and then receive. That is, reject these things and receive these things. He first says to reject, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, the immediate context here, we're thinking of that sinful anger. But James broadens his language so as really to include all sin. And so these instructions to reject and receive are instructions that help us fight any sin in our lives. Maybe you think, um, I don't feel like anger is my biggest problem. It's maybe this sin. These instructions apply. So this is very relevant for us all. He says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And the word filthiness here is literally like dirty, filthy, filth, muck, slime, putrescence, these sorts of things. And this rampant wickedness is just referring to widespread sin, the sin we see all around us. And we truly need to see sin as a filth, a filth that we won't have in our lives. 
there's this really interesting verse in Isaiah 30, verse 22, which when I first came across it, it really stood out to me. And in it, Isaiah is talking and prophesying about a future day when the big sin of Israel, worshiping idols, when they would put that sin behind them. And uh, this is from the New English Translation, which gets at the actual uh, literal rendering a bit better. So he's telling them of this day when they'll put their idols behind them. He says, you will desecrate your silver-plated idols and your gold-plated images. You will throw them away as if they were a menstrual rag, saying to them, get out. And I like the King James even better. He says, get thee hence. James is saying, Isaiah is saying, the attitude you should have towards sin in your life, towards sinful anger, should be the same reaction you have if some bloody, filthy rag landed on you. You would throw it off of you immediately and say, get away from me. Get thee hence. I will have nothing to do with this. That's the reaction our hearts ought to have to sin in our lives. You would cast it off immediately. And we want to have a heart that wants to cast aside all filthiness, every form of anger, however mild. We want to cast off an um, annoyance, which is mild anger. We want to be done with irritation, which is also mild anger. We want to be done with frustration, which is also mild anger. Let's not veil our anger by using these terms that we think somehow more acceptable when the seed of them is the exact same. Paul says in Colossians 3.8 that you must put them all away now. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You need to be ready to put it all away. And so when it comes to anger in your life, when it comes to anger in your home, this is what I believe is the number one principle you need to have. You need to have a zero-tolerance policy for anger in your home. Whatever tolerance level you allow, that's the level that anger will rise to in your home. However much you allow is what there will be. In 2002, the country of Norway implemented a vision for road safety that they called Vision Zero. And Vision Zero was their vision to get to the point where they would have no more deaths from vehicle accidents. Vehicles hitting one another, vehicles hitting pedestrians. And they said, why would we tolerate one death? Our goal, our vision is zero, vision zero. And just last year, the city of Oslo, 600,000 people, they, they, they made it down to one death. They, they, they worked on this and they're down, they were one death in the last year in 600,000 people. And my question is, will you adopt vision zero in your home today? A vision to have a home with zero anger. Does that mean you'll ever reach it? Probably not. But if you don't shoot for the highest call, where will you end up? You can do better than you're doing. But you need to catch this vision that you don't want anger to have any place in your home and life. And you will do what you can to fight it and to see it cast out. So we want to reject sin. We want to reject it, run from it, cast it off. And do you know really what we could call this attitude? It's called repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of behavior that says, I am not going to walk the way of sin. And this repentance, it's a gift that God gives us. And it's a call for us to follow our whole life long. Martin Luther's first thesis 
was that the whole Christian life was to be one of repentance. It's not just a one-time thing, but every day. We must first reject, reject this sin, James says. But secondly, and just as importantly, we must receive. What does he say? Look at verse 21. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That is, he says, receive meekly. That is, receive without putting up a fight. Receive, welcome this soul-saving implanted word. Receive the soul-saving implanted word. What word is this? It's the word of Christ. That is, this word of Christ, the word of Christ as Savior, as Lord, needs to be welcomed and uh, not rejected. You want to welcome it as a, like a good friend showing up at your door, not like, like a traveling vacuum salesman that you turn, turn away. Meekly receive this word. A few verses earlier, James called this the word of truth. The word of truth that brings us salvation. And the word of this gospel truth was stated simply in the book of Acts that it's the message of Jesus Christ being raised up by God as both Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. And this word of Christ was sown in the congregation to which James is writing, sown by faithful preachers of the gospel. This word of good news that Jesus as Savior provides for forgiveness of sins. And Jesus as Lord provides a direction for a meaningful life. We must receive this word. How do we do that? It's received by faith. It's received by faith. That means trusting Christ as your Savior, seeking in Him alone forgiveness of sins and right standing before God. But further, it also means trusting and having faith in Christ as Lord, surrendering to Him, rendering your highest allegiance to Him, and agreeing to walk in His ways as His disciple. So if you would be forgiven for your anger, you must receive this word of salvation. If you would learn meekness, you must receive this word of direction. And if you've never received this word before, God's word says today is the day of salvation. The word is near you, his word says. It's, it's right in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word that we proclaim. This word must be received if we would be a people transformed from anger to meekness. But even though this word must find an initial reception in the heart, a first time where faith and repentance is practiced, this is also a word that needs to be received every single day. I've been, I've been studying, because uh, we're going to have a baby soon, and studying what happens when a baby's born and it takes its first breath of air. It's an amazing, an amazing thing that happens. But at that moment, Every person has had at some point where they took their first breath of air. They first breathed in. But that air that brought them that life at the first time is the air they keep breathing in and out every day. And so it is with us that the first time the Spirit works in our heart, new birth, and we breathe in and we breathe out in repentance and faith, that now becomes our new way of life. The, the way of the Christian life is the way of repentance and faith. Putting off, putting on, rejecting, and receiving. And that's the mode that we live in. And so again and again and again, we must breathe in the word of forgiveness, receiving Christ as our Savior. Again and again, we must breathe in the word of direction, 
receiving Christ as king. And this is the daily working of faith in the heart. And so here's the word for you and I today. It's a reminder that not a one of us is free from the taint of anger in our life. None of us have escaped without anger. As Titus 3 reminds us, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so we did justly deserve God's perfectly righteous anger and his punishment due to our sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, he averted that impending just judgment of God and stood in our place, condemned. And so, for the one who has hoped in Christ, there is no more torrent of righteous anger awaiting, but only fountains of mercy and grace. The debt of anger that once stood against us is fully paid. It's blotted out and forgiven in Jesus. And so our wonderful, merciful Savior, he calls us to follow him daily, in a life of obedient discipleship. Jesus called his followers to be merciful peacemakers. Remember what he said in Matthew 5, 5. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus rose and has poured out his spirit to empower in us this life of gentleness, meekness, and peace. And so this challenge I've put out, this challenge to have a zero-tolerance policy for anger, this challenge of vision zero in your home, this is no vain ploy. This is no idle endeavor. This is what Jesus died to make a spiritual reality. And 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us that the Spirit of God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to put to death sinful anger, everything we need to bring to life beautiful meekness, This is what Jesus died to purchase for us. So it is not a vain fight. It's the fight of faith, the fight of repentance and faith day by day. And so you can have a zero tolerance policy for anger in your life. You can become quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You can show forth the meekness and gentleness of Christ, daily receiving his words of absolution and forgiveness, his words of guidance and direction. And so you can receive this soul-saving word today, a word that not only saves the soul, but continually heals our sin-sick soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in spite of all our many shortcomings and transgressions, we find forgiveness at the foot of the cross, and that we can come and Confess our sins to you knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And we do once again look to the cleansing and empowering Holy Spirit to bring to life in us the meekness of Christ. Strengthen your people, O God, to fight sin daily, to practice daily repentance, but also to daily receive the word of grace and strength, to press on that we would be a people unlike this world, unlike an outraged culture, but those who walk with calm and poise in the midst of trying times, that we would reflect a different way and mode of life, remembering that the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, but Lord, that we'd show forth the meekness of Christ that does walk in the righteous ways of God. 
So give us your help, we pray. We know we struggle. We know we fail. And so we do ask once again for your forgiveness and grace that we would forget what lies behind and press on for what lies ahead for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.